This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 61 of the podcast where we talk aviation careers and try to help you navigate towards your career goal. You know, with the growth in the number of government job openings related to aviation, you might want to satisfy your passion for aviation and serve your country at the same time. There are many benefits and rewards to working for the government, but how does one go about finding jobs and applying? Well, today I have with me Russ Rosluski, and who has been had much experience in applying and also screening applicants applying for government jobs. Russ is a flight instructor and a federal employee. He's going to help us discover how you can successfully land the government job that will fulfill your aviation passion. Russ, hey, welcome back to Aviation Careers Podcast. Well, thanks a lot, Carl. It's awesome having you on again. I tell you, um, I'll uh, put a link to the other episode that you're on, but it was uh, it was really cool. Uh, some of the things that you've done with the federal government in the past, and now you're now you're back. Now you're uh, working for the federal government again. But we're not we're not just talking about the specific job you're with now, which we, we won't talk about, but uh, we're talking about federal jobs in general. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, and I guess I didn't, how many different federal jobs there are out there. And and, and there's there's a difference between federal, state, local, a, a big difference between the types of jobs. But, you know, Russ, give us a little idea, you know, as far as your background real quickly, and then also, you know, what you think the benefits are of, of working for the federal government. Well, sure, Carl. Yeah, I want to start off with, of course, though I am a current federal employee, I'm not obviously representing any federal agency. And importantly, I'm not in the uh, human relations or personnel department or or any like agency, you know, part of the part of the system there. Um, you also mentioned that I have screened some applicants. That is true. I don't really want to exaggerate that, though. Uh, I've served on selection boards for two or maybe three positions. Uh but that did give me some some insight into the process. Uh, I would say mostly, though, uh, I've had a lot of career changes over the years, location changes, and I have applied for quite a few uh, government jobs, federal government jobs, that is, over about the last seven years. I'd say I've probably applied for around 50 jobs. Wow. Um, yeah, quite a few. Uh, when your move is driven by a change in location and you're trying to find a job, you, you tend to apply for a lot of jobs. So, uh so obviously I've been interviewed uh, for some and selected for some. Uh, obviously I've been non-selected for many. <laughs> so, but but you know like like with everything if you, you learn from from failures and not that not getting selected for a job is necessarily a failure but you learn and I was able to interview the HR departments and sometimes the hiring officials for those jobs and say hey what what wasn't in my resume that should have been there or, you know, what did I miss? Uh, what would have helped me and that kind of thing. So a lot of feedback on why I wasn't selected. Um, in addition, I, I've had the pleasure of helping others with their resumes and application process for, for federal jobs. Uh, so hopefully the, the info uh, here today should be accurate, I hope. Right. But uh, obviously there are a lot of federal, different federal agencies and they Although they all follow the same basic hiring processes, um, 
there's no guarantees that there aren't some exceptions out there about how they hire. And there are so many different programs with the federal government that, you know, keeping track of, of any number of them is, is very difficult. So, so I'll try to be accurate. It'll be based on my experience, but, but no guarantees, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, federal employment has a lot of benefits, of course. Uh, the number one, I think any, most people can think of is job security, right? Um, now, of course, as a, government employee. I'm the butt of some jokes too on job security and you know, you can never fire a federal employee and that kind of thing. That's how true really, is that? Though? That's not true. I've seen several people fired and, and sometimes it hasn't taken the several years that, that the joke is it takes to fire people. But, uh, um, yeah, I've seen several people, several people let go, um, over the years. Uh, but there are a lot of benefits, uh, job security being the number one, of course. Uh, Usually, if you get in federal employment and if you want to stay 30, 40 years, there are ways to do it. And a lot of people do. Uh, and as someone who's hopped, scotched around to several different jobs over the last few years, some job stability sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> and I know it does <laughs> to a lot imagine. of folks, too. Yeah. yeah. Now, those um, jobs that you've jumped from, they weren't, they weren't all federal jobs. They were also private sector, right? Yeah, there was a couple of private sector jobs, too. And then I got in the the federal government system and, and kind of stayed there for the last, the last several years too. But, uh, there's some good, lo- uh, life insurance and health insurance programs. Um, there are usually most agencies have regular pay increases based on your longevity. Um, of course, all the federal holidays, 10 each year, you get all those off. Uh, leave is, is, is a pretty good deal. Uh, when you start out as a federal employee, you get, um, about 13 days of leave a year and the longer you're in the federal government, the higher it goes. So that's certainly a pretty good benefit. Uh, they do have the thrift savings program, which is a 401 K like, uh, retirement plan. In addition to, uh, the federal government pension, uh, and the employer, the employer match to the uh, 401 K is pretty good as well. So yeah, a lot of benefits there. Um, but you know, in all fairness, I think I should talk about some of the cons, I suppose, of federal employment. Uh, and of course, you know, some of the same things that you'd face in in a large private company, uh, the federal government is a huge employer. Um, you know, it's a, just a gigantic organization and the bureaucracy is for some people really hard to, to bear. Um, if you're, you know, if you want to make changes to, to, you know, every day, it may not quite work as well as you think, although it can be done. Um, of course, private industry sometimes has bonuses and profit sharing and stock options and these kind of things, which you're certain, certainly not going to get with the federal government. There's, you know, there's no stock, for example, so, or Christmas bonuses, um, that, that kind of thing just doesn't really happen. Uh, and of course, your employment is is affected by the elected elected officials' uh, budget cuts. We had last year the uh, sequester uh, that cut into my pay for several months. Uh, so you always have the federal budget concerns, and they can and do affect federal employees. Well, how about you just said job security too before? Now that's also a minus. If you they have furloughs, right? Uh, yeah, the there's no doubt about that. Uh, there last year was was pretty unusual in that there were the furloughs. They were all, as far as I know, they were all uh, temporary in nature. Um, my uh, employer implemented uh, one day per week furlough for six or seven weeks. 
So fortunately, I wasn't as bad as it could be, but it definitely cut into into my income. Uh, but as far as I know, there were no permanent furloughs during that period. Right. And and for people to understand this, you know, obviously people know my background. That's what I did for 12 years is help furloughed pilots. A, a furlough is a leave of absence, but the difference is it's involuntary. It's an involuntary leave of absence. So you're, like you said, furlough, it can, it can happen for like in my case, I was on furlough for two and a half years. It can be just one day a week, that type of thing. And it, it's a lot of times it will depend on your longevity. And, and again, longevity meaning how many years you have of service in that organization. Longevity is an interesting thing, too. And maybe we could talk a little bit about how that's different in the career of federal jobs. But again, furlough means, you know, you're on leave and you, you, you don't want to be on leave. It's involuntary. The longevity thing, if you don't mind going back to that, just one second. Um, I know longevity, like in the private sector, is how many years you have with service, basically how many months usually. And now if, say you go on a furlough with the uh, federal government and you've been working there for a year and now you're furloughed for two years, do you still have three years of longevity or do you, do you know how that works? You know, with a furlough that long, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I know that up to a certain limit, it doesn't affect your, your longevity at all. Um, but those furloughs last year were pretty short lived, fortunately. And, and then, you know, they wrapped them all up and, and we all came back to work full time. So yeah, I don't want to put you know, too much of a downer on, on that. Certainly the, uh, I'm pretty secure in my job and I'm pretty sure I'll have a job for a long time. Right. right. Um, and one of the, one of the pros too is, is the variety of jobs. I mean, the federal government, like I said, is big. Uh, now this, this is a political issue and there's, uh, you know, proponents and opponents on both sides of a big government, of course, and we're not going to get into that, but it is what it is. It's big. Uh, there's a lot of jobs in, even in aviation areas or anywhere else. I mean, we've got pilots and dispatchers and mechanics and flight schedulers and ground crew, people in the fire and forestry business, engineers, scientists, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And with that, once you're in the federal government, kind of in the system, as long as you meet the requirements for another job, you can generally move around pretty well. And often you can keep your pay level, um, which, which is good. So you want to try out something else, move over, try out another job. And, and often, like I said, you can keep your pay level. So, so if you're an air traffic controller and you decide to do something else in the federal government, like forestry, you could actually make a move like that? You could make a move. Now, depending on your qualifications, like I said, right. I said you right. may often keep your pay level, but I mean, if it's something that you knew nothing about, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't go to be the highest paid, uh, you know, forestry official around probably, but, um, but yeah, you, you can make those changes and your years of service continue, your benefits continue. If you had, you know, accrued leave, it, it carries over because any federal agency is for those purposes is treated as the same company. Right. So that's pretty nice. And, you know, you talked about a few, you, you rattled off a bunch. All those jobs that you mentioned have some type of aviation-related, you know, as an aviation careers-type podcast. Mm -hmm. But there's there's aviation in everything. Uh, it, it's amazing. I, I never realized, like, even in the uh, the federal prison system, you know, they, they move around prisoners. And uh, it's it just, it's phenomenal. You know, the forestry department, you know, the wildlife, it, it's it just, I, I was so amazed at all the different aviation jobs out there. You know, a lot of times, all, we all, or me, I used to always think there was air traffic control and NTSB and the FAA, and that's it. But there's a bunch of other, 
jobs are aviation related. So you still can fulfill your passion of aviation within a federal job in many different ways. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Interesting. So now, now we talked a little bit about the benefits and, the, and some, of the, some of the challenges there. Is there any other challenges and benefits you want to you mention before we move on? No, I think yeah, I think we can move right on on yeah. uh, how how to find these yeah. Kind of jobs. Yeah, because yeah. I I am really curious. You know, how do I how do I go about if you're listening right now and you want to find a job? We're gonna you know, he's, Russ is gonna show us a little bit how we can navigate towards that job. So how do I find a job, Russ? Well, you know, it used to be pretty hard <laughs> before <laughs> the internet. It, it was it was really hard. You had to actually you know physically go to the the agency or the organization you were interested in and dig through a big book of the job listings. Well, of course, internet makes it a lot easier. Uh, and as far as I know, this goes back to every organization I've dealt with. The all of the jobs are listed on usajobs.gov. Um, I'm sure you'll have a link to that on the yeah we on, sure on will show notes yeah but uh, usajobs.gov. Uh, and when you bring that up, it's a pretty simple uh, homepage on that site, and it has a search. And you you type in your search term, and it can consist of solely of a keyword and a location. And I mean, if you want to search for pilot jobs in Massachusetts, pilot in Massachusetts. Um, I, I've noticed that the search tool is actually reasonably smart. Uh, if you search for pilot, it'll also return things that may not have the word pilot in them, but have aviation in them, uh, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you search for mechanic, you know, you'll get anything that's mechanic related, even if it doesn't have mechanic in it, possibly. So it tries to tries to accommodate what it thinks you want, which is nice. Um, also, down on, right below that, those search boxes, it has a, a few extra links. Uh, one is for for student type positions and intern positions. One is for uh, disabled uh, people. Uh, one is for veterans, and then one is for the uh, senior executive service. Those would be um, pretty high up in the the federal government. Uh, so you can also specifically search for any of those items. And there's some good help pages on that website too. But yeah, searching for jobs just start there. Once you're in there, then then you can kind of refine and narrow down your search. Uh, it, pretty self-explanatory, I think, on the left side. It just has different filters for location or pay level or uh, you know, exact, exact job series, that kind of thing. So I think it's pretty self-explanatory after that point for searching. Yeah, I'm just looking, I'm looking at it right now. So, yeah, right. it's pretty simple there. So, yeah, you look at pilots and it also comes up dispatch because I guess they work with pilots. Sure. Yeah, so that makes sense. Sure. Interesting. So it's pretty easy to search through that. So, but but there's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot, <laughs> and and unfortunately, one of the things a search tool does is, let's say you search for aviation, for example, um, it'll probably return every result in the Federal Aviation Administration because it has the word aviation in it. So, <laughs> um, you know that that might be. You're completely something different than what you're you're looking for, uh, because obviously the the FAA and any federal agency has accountants and they have, you know, all, all that kind of different thing. Maybe not exactly what you're looking for, but you can start and weed through it a little bit at a time. 
You know, it's interesting you said that because I, I know uh, my wife was in aviation, but she was in what's called maintenance control, and that's where they controlled all the parts. And that was in the military, and they have, you know, a similar position in the in the federal government within agencies within the federal government. So I, th- I thought that was fascinating, too. And, and you don't realize that, oh, yeah, there's somebody that has to control all the parts and make sure they get to the airplane like when they need to be fixed and that type of thing or the helicopter or whatever it may be. So uh, there's it, it's just it's you know like I said it's mind-boggling all the different type of jobs that they have there. Um, but you know if you look at this this website and and I know there's there's jobs on this website to apply for. Uh, there's other federal jobs out there too. Obviously there's federal uh, impl- uh, appointees, political appointees. Those are also considered federal jobs. Uh, I have a um, a relative that's actually a political appointee, and that goes into that whole bucket there. That's a whole other ball game trying to apply for those uh, positions, because then you obviously have to be part of whatever federal uh, or, or the government administration that's there right now. But how would you apply for, say, one of these jobs, a, a job that's out uh, open to the general public? How, how would I actually start that process? Okay, yeah, it's and it is a little bit of a process. You're right. Um, it... <laughs> It's a little bit more involved necessarily than just send, than emailing your resume to uh, to a company you want to work for. Uh, you first, you do have to create an account on USA Jobs. Okay. Uh, you know, I, mean, I guess as you would expect, and you know, there's a link up in the I think the upper right hand corner which says you know log in or, or you know sign up or create an account, something like that. So you go through, you create an account. Um, what USA Jobs does is it will be able to store resumes. And other documents like transcripts or copies of your pilot certificates or, or that kind of stuff. So once you create an account, you're, you can upload your resume. You can create it using the uh, on the tool within USA Jobs if you like. Personally, I prefer the flexibility of creating my own and uploading it, but that's personal preference. Um, then go in, find your job, and just click apply on the job. Um, you do want to note the close date of the job. Sometimes, you know, it might be closing tomorrow, so you want to make sure you get everything done. <laughs> uh, I'll talk more about, about that, uh, close date, importance in a minute. Um, then what you're going to do is you're going to select your documents to attach. Uh, you need to read the the job listing pretty thoroughly, and and if it's going to say you need to include a resume, of course you're going to, always going to have to include a resume. But like I mentioned, you might have to include your transcripts if you're required an engineering degree, you're going to need to prove you have an engineering degree. Uh, if it required you to be a commercial pilot, you would need to attach your pilot certificate. Uh, if you're a veteran, you would need to attach documentation of that. Uh, definitely more on that later, too. Um, so you select your documents to attach. And then what it usually does, most agencies, once you click submit on that, it sends you to this completely other system. But... Your documents are copied over automatically, or at least they should be. And that other system is going to ask some follow-on questions. Um, it's typically called something like an occupational questionnaire. Uh, and that includes uh, your experience. Uh, do you have at least 12 months of experience doing this? Um, do you, you know, meet these requirements? It's going to ask you all, that, all those detailed questions. It could be five questions. It could be 30 questions. Uh, and... In this, a lot of them will ask, what is your level of experience with, oh, I, I don't know, developing uh, 
wing design or something, you know, so it, it would ask, what is your experience in developing, uh, you know, aerodynamics of wings? And then it would ask anything, you got to answer anything from, I've never heard of it <laughs> to, <laughs> to all the way up to, I'm considered an expert and other people consult with me and my work is fantastic, you know, so, you know, somewhere in there. So, you know, and I, there's usually four or five choices of those. So yeah, the, the, it's tempting there to always answer the top one, certainly. Uh, but that could come, come back to haunt you later. Uh, there are periodic audits of the HR departments. And actually, I was subject to one. I got a call from, from our HR department, and I had to present them with documents to verify I had met the requirements. This was after I'd been hired. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that to verify I met the requirements that like I said I did and and I did <laughs> so I, I guess I got to keep my job but but they uh, but they do conduct periodic audits if they came back and found that I wasn't actually qualified for the job when I said I was well that would be grounds for termination so so yeah you really don't want to mess with that of course no no um, Let's see. So th- then you answer all those questions in the occupational questionnaire and then uh, then you're usually basically done. It might take you through a few screens of, you know, I certify that this is true and accurate and these kind of things. But then you just click uh, apply or submit depending on the system. Um, and then you're basically done with the application process. Now, I mentioned the closing date. You know, if, if the job closes tomorrow and you get all your paperwork in tomorrow, that's great. Uh, if the day after tomorrow you realize you forgot something, well, it's too late. The un- private sector companies can pretty much follow most any rules they want on hiring, as I understand. But the government has a lot of restrictions on them to ensure fair hiring practices. And one of them is after the closeout date, they can't accept any additional documentation. Uh, it doesn't matter if you, you made an error or just simply forgot something, they can't accept it. So what I recommend is you get done before the closing date, submit. If you have any updates, you can resubmit your, your application as many times as you want before that closing date, and it just takes the most current one. And if you have any questions, every single job ad has a contact number in it. And that's the contact to the person in the HR department that probably put the job ad in the system in the first place in many agencies. Right. So you can call them up and yeah, you're probably not going to answer, hey, how can I get this job? But <laughs> but they, they can certainly answer, you know, what type of documents you might need or, or were you forgetting anything? Uh, and I've had them go in and and kind of look over, oh, yeah, you got everything, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, so definitely a useful, a useful contact there. Uh, yeah, so it, it is a little bit of a process, uh, but... But yeah, think, what, once you get good at it, it gets pretty quick, just like anything else. It sounds almost like the private sector is mimicking what the government's doing. I mean, if you look at many of the jobs now, you have to go through this huge process of, of applying and uh, adding things to, say, your resume. I know the last job I applied for, the last few, had to upload things. Like As you're talking, I'm like, wow, I kind of went through a similar type process uh, for the last couple of jobs I've applied for. And having to upload and make sure everything's correct, but uh, but you know, <laughs> when I was doing it, I'm sitting there thinking, how how in the world can I make make my application stand out? You know, you used to be able to give people your resume, and there was many ways to make your resume stand out. I think you you can actually still do that applying online. And I always tell people that you know, in the section where it talks about activities, that's one of them. 
but is there what what ways can you you know make your resume stand out? I guess I should say you know, in or in your application. Yeah, there's. It's you're you're right. You're not physically presenting it to a person, so it, you know you can't put it in a nice pretty folder or you know on high quality paper or anything like that. I just go in electronically and they might print it out the other end or they might not, but you're not going to know. So, okay. so yeah, you can't make it look nice and pretty. Uh, but what I do recommend is, and, and this is true for really any job, uh, but target your resume for each specific advertisement. Every single one of those 50 or whatever jobs I've applied for has had its own specific resume for that job. Um, I think that's key because as you look through the the requirements for some of these jobs, some of them are very specific. Now, it's possible that that the job that you're applying for is identical to the job you applied for at another agency a month ago, but probably not. So you definitely want to target your resume for each ad. Um, and, and like I said, that you can create your resume and just upload it. So you know, I've got a bunch of copies of my resume, and I just you know if I need to change a few things, I just change them and re-upload. Not a problem. You know, while while you're saying that, I was thinking, gosh, you know, there's there's one way I always tell people to make your resume stand out is don't be afraid to put the organizations you're involved with, because I know someone uh, recently heard a story uh, that the person that pulled the resume and pulled the application looked down at at his additional activities and found out that he also was doing that same activity and actually brought him into the interview just because of that. So you never know how you'll con- you know connect with somebody that's actually looking at at your your resume and your application so always put that in there you know the different activities you're involved with oh yeah yeah absolutely and anything you can put into that to to put kind of put a more personal touch on it is is definitely good um i I will say um a lot of private sector resumes you know they, they kind of recommend keep it to one page you know keep it to one page you know because you know, that's all the person's going to read anyway, and they're going to look at it for three seconds, and they're going to make, you know, that kind of thing. Unlike private sector resumes, a government resume will likely be multiple pages. Right. Uh, three to four pages is not unusual. Um, your resume might be your entire application. Uh, that, that might be your whole bit. In fact, some jobs might not necessarily even conduct interviews. So that might be your whole presentation to the hiring official. Um, that makes it important. Yeah, it's very important. Plus, plus they require a lot of information um, to be included in your resume that, that that a private sector company could just ask you during the interview or whatever if they were interested. Uh, every single ad has a, shows what information is required, and there are some links and, and help documents, like I said, on USAJobs.gov that that will show you what you need to include in your resume. Some of the basics are, of course, your job title for everywhere. They also want your salary. Uh, But one of the most important things that people don't realize is the dates of your employment at each of your previous jobs. Uh, This is important because one of the main requirements of most federal jobs is that you have at least 12 months of experience at what would be equivalent to the next lower grade in that uh, job function. Mm-hmm. So if you put on there that you were a um, aerial firefighter from 2006 to 2007, is that two months or is it two years? <laughs> you know? yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you, you don't know. So is that, do you meet the 12 months or not? You don't know. So 
I highly recommend at least putting in the month and the year. And if it comes right down to the wire, put the date. <laughs> okay. You know, no, November of 2011, November 1st of 2011 to November 2nd of 2012. Well, that gets you your, 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 your uh, 52 weeks there. So uh, they, they need to see that. And that's one of the things that the HR folks will focus on right away uh, as they're checking through it. Uh, you do want to read the whole ad. Uh, when you're building your resume, read every single word of that advertisement. Uh, there are important details in there that, that can pop out. And, and even some of the important details are right at the end of the document. So make sure to read every word. And one of the most important things with any federal job application is you got to understand the first gatekeeper is the HR office, okay? They, they serve as a filter to determine your basic eligibility for, their, for the job. Uh, if you don't get through the HR office, you're not ever, your, your package is never gonna see the hiring official, so there's no chance you're gonna get selected. So they're gonna look at, look at your application just to try to figure out, is this person even remotely qualified? Do they meet the basic requirements we put in the, in the job description? Uh, for example, if let's say it was a computer scientist position, and I know you did some kind of computer yes. type work and that kind of thing, <laughs> but I've never done it. Okay. <laughs> so if I applied for the job, well, my, they'd look through and see, I have absolutely no computer science experience. So they'd set it in the discard pile and there I'm done. Right. Right. Okay. So that, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. Everyone understands that. Okay. You get a little more complicated. Okay. So let's say there's a flying position. There's a, I don't know, test pilot or something requires 3,500 hours of flying. Well, I don't have 3,500 hours, but maybe I do. <laughs> you know, if I don't specifically say that I do in the job ad, they're going to look at, well, this person doesn't have 3,500 hours. So again, discard. Okay. Um, I mentioned that. So, so well, I see like be a little more granular, I guess in your, your ab, resume. you need to be really granular. Gotcha. Um, the HR rep is not necessarily going to know the equivalent terms. Okay. Of your industry. Remember these, these people are, are, they're not necessarily trying to stop the application, but you know, they handle, you know, computer programmers, pilots, mechanics, accountants, clerical position. I mean, just everything, you know, they don't know all the terms and acronyms and whatever for all the different functions that they, that they're, um, right. that they're getting applications for. Uh, they can't know everything about everybody. Right. So, I mean, even if, there's a job and that requires a thousand hours of multi piloting command. Okay. Multi-engine piloting command. Right. And well, you f say, okay, well I have a thousand hours of pilot command in the Embraer 145. Okay. Right. Does the HRR person know what an Embraer 145 is? <laughs> exactly. Maybe not. Right. I mean, you and I do, but uh, is, what is that? I don't know. Sure. Is that a, is that a farm tractor? You know, who knows, right? So, so, well, so they don't, maybe. they don't, <laughs> well, they don't necessarily know. Even, even worse, um, you know, let's say you, you even stepped back a level there and said, you know, you've been an Embraer 145 captain for 10 years or something. Right. Well, you and I would certainly assume you probably had a thousand hours of multi PIC at that time, but you didn't say it. <laughs> okay. And the HR people can't read your mind. So sure. unfortunately they got a lot of these things to look through. So if, if you don't, if it's not clear, then it might just go in, in the discard pile. I, I can understand that. And to, to add to that, you know, even if you're 10 years as a captain, say, on a jet, that say you worked in the office, say you were a Czech airman, say you were a simulator sure. instructor, you may not have the hours. So so I, I think that that's a great point to, to definitely, you know, put yeah, the numbers hours in there, you know. 
my recommendation for that, and this this is based on again my experience and talking with HR reps, a person to person on this kind of thing, is read through the ad and use the exact terms that they use in the ad. If they say they want 1,000 hours of multi-PIC, put I have 1,000 hours of multi-PIC. Okay, <laughs> if if it is if it happens to be a flying job and they have like some of the jobs will have a, a table of the different kind of time requirements they want, you know, this many PIC, this many turbine, this many uh, a flight instruction, whatever. If it has in a table, I'd say put it in your resume as a table <laughs> in exactly that format. Make it easy on oh, the HR smart. people. Yeah. Use the words that they're looking for. Uh, it, and if they say they, they want a job that's a computer scientist and put in you were a computer scientist, don't use whatever other words might be used in, in the trade. Make it, make it easy. Um, yeah, and because if you don't get past that HR office, again, the hiring official will never even see your application. Right, right. You might be the best qualified person, but but you just won't. You they won't even see you. And and like if they have a specific airplane in mind, like you said, EMB one forty five. Say they said we want King Air time, and you know you put in the designation for King Air. You don't spell out the name King Air. They may not realize that that is a King Air. You know, so that you're actually flying. So you you don't know. Maybe it's a BE dash something, a BE ninety or something, and you know the person looking at that doesn't realize that that may be a King Air. That you're you know that's the designator. But just say I have a thousand hours of time in a King Air, just like they stated on there. That's that's really that's some great advice. I like. That. Yeah, that I, I would good. I would word it just like the job at. And you know this this is obviously not it's not all the time your application is going to be rejected for something like this. You know, but why take the chance? Right. You know, just you know, type in a different word and you make it through. <laughs> so cool. uh, a lot of jobs require one year, like I said, one year of experience equivalent to the next lower grade in federal service. Now, that's gibberish probably to people who aren't in federal service. OK, but exactly. But but the, the ad will have examples uh, if they are requiring a year of specialized experience in colon loading fire uh, tanker aircraft with fire suppressant or, you know, this kind of thing. So they will have specific examples uh, as you move up in the in federal employment you know, and as the job, as the level of the job you're applying for increases in, in pay and responsibility, the, the requirement for that one year of experience is at an increased level of responsibility. So... Well, to use that, you know, the the firefighter example, you know, the lower level may be just you have experience loading the the fire retardant. OK, but then if you're applying for a higher level, it might be scheduling the operation or training people or otherwise taking responsibility for or something like that. So so as you look through the ad, you'll see what they're looking for for that specialized experience. Uh, some jobs have an education requirement. I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Right. Um, so you, you might need to uh, attach your transcripts, so your college transcripts or whatever. Um, some kind of have can have a mix of education experience. Some will allow you to substitute, say, a master's degree in the topic for a year of experience. Uh, so just again, read through that and spell it out very clearly in your resume that that you have these things. So if you do have those things, though. Is there a difference between being competitive and having the minimum requirements, kind of like in the in the corporate world or you know in the private world, where you know someone will come up to me and say, "Hey, listen, I really want to work for XYZ airline. 
can I apply? And it's like, sure, all you need is a ATP, but to be competitive, you need, say, 5,000 hours for this airline. Is there anywhere that they can find that information or kind of like on the Internet, like they have gouge for the other companies, et cetera? You know, I'm not aware of something. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm not aware of exactly that kind of thing for the federal government. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right that you may meet the minimum requirements just fine, but, you know, not be the top applicant. What, where that's going to be determined is after that HR official. So the HR official is going to go through and fill, make the, that initial first cut, and then the applications will go up to the hiring official. And, you know, they can, that's where they'll determine, well, you know, Carl has such and such experience, but, you know, Russ has more, so he'll <laughs> hire Russ. But, right. but uh, so, so that's kind of where that, that cut is made. But no, I don't know of any uh, general. You're talking about the uh, the gouge on the, yeah, the, the hiring expectations, uh, and probably because the the jobs are not generally hired in mass. I, I guess you know it might be you know one position at that agency every couple of years. Right. So so there's no real way to build up. What are they expecting on this one? See, I see. That uh, makes sense. Now, That's interesting. yeah, some ads have what's known as KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities, and it's usually spelled out KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities, right in the ad. Uh, these are certain areas that they, they really want you to uh, focus on. And I'll take, I'll take through a couple examples at the end, and I'll, I'll kind of mention this. Uh, these would be, do you have these skills? Uh, be able to you know, program a computer, be able to... Uh, you know, analyze the stress on a wing spar. Uh, have you done this kind of thing before? Uh, it used to be required that you specifically have a, t a section of your resume called KSAs, and then you'd list out, they'd have, you know, their five that they wanted to make sure you had, and you would type out a whole you know, paragraph or several about what you had in each one. It looks like the entire federal government is trying to get away from having that separate but as long as you include it in your resume and it's clearly spelled out, that's okay. You can still do it separately if you want because you're putting it in your resume. It's part of your resume. But as long as you spell it out in the experience section, that's okay. And that's especially where using the exact terms like we talked about earlier can, can help a lot. Uh, you mentioned earlier about you know, being you, you, somebody was in the same organization as the hiring official. Let's be honest. Hiring is still done by people. It's not computers, even in the federal government. Uh, so networking can still work for you. Sure, uh, it's it's still important. I mean, if you have if you're a hiring official and you have two job applicants and they're both identical, but you know the one is a hard worker because you got his recommendation from his other boss or something, and the other guy you've never heard of. Well, <laughs> you know, like I said, we're we're. We're still people doing the hiring. Oh, right? sure, sure, yeah. and and they and I'm assuming that within the federal government they can make recommendations for certain jobs. For instance, I had a a federal you know employee come to me and say, "Hey, listen, you know this position is coming open, and I would highly recommend you if you wanted to apply for that." Uh, I'm assuming that would help move that that resume along if you had somebody within the organization that was recommending you. I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it certainly can't hurt. You do, of course, have to meet the basic eligibility requirements right. and get through the HR office first. Right, <laughs> you know? right. But but yeah, as long as you would meet the requirements, it, it certainly couldn't hurt. Uh, and, uh, one more tip I wanted to mention before I before I forgot about the um, you know, finding these jobs and, and applying. Uh, 
once you've set up your account, you can save your search terms and you can get emails when new jobs pop up that meet those search terms. Okay. So it's pretty good. Uh, You can set these uh, emails. You can have it emailed every month or week or day if you want. And I actually recommend getting them every day. Um, And here's why. A lot of jobs are only open for four or five days. So (laughs) if you get a weekly email, it might be too late uh, or you might completely miss it. So so if you're interested in that, set that up for daily emails. And, you know, it could be any I want just email me on any aviation job in North Dakota and it'll send you whatever it can. So so that I highly recommend. But yeah, this whole this whole application process, I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. Um, really, you just need to stay focused, you know, stay on target and, and, and get through it. There is a lot of information that needs to be pulled together and especially your first couple applications. It's pretty daunting, mm-hmm. but, uh, but after that, it, it, it does get easier. <laughs> you know, as you've been saying all this for us, that's what, one of the things I was wondering is, you know, how long did this take you to, to get this application in online? I mean, especially when you were new to it, I mean, it must've taken you, it sounds like hours to me. Anyway. Oh, sure. It's, yeah, it's hours. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, no doubt. I mean, well, it's, you know, it's, it's pulling together a resume, but with a lot of detail on each job you had. So it's real easy to remember what your job was. It's, it's harder to remember what exactly you did or some of the big successes you had or that, you know, that big project that, that you worked on. Um, so I recommend you know, even well before you're thinking about high, uh, applying for any federal job or really any job for that matter. I mean, you got to keep some kind of notes on, on what you did and good things, good projects of yours and, and that kind of thing throughout your working career. If your employer has some kind of a, you know, performance review type process, um, that's great. <laughs> uh, you know, things to look back on. I came from the military where I had very detailed records of, you know, my, accomplishments and, and such. And so, it, but even then it, it did take a while to, to filter out the, uh, the, the chaff there and, okay. <laughs> and, and put together a, a good and not non boring, uh, resume, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it, there, there is a lot of stuff, but like I said, it get it gets easier and easier to go on. And, and now, you know, I've done so many that if a job comes up that I'm interested in, it's just a matter of, going back through a few different resumes and copying and pasting from different ones and making it match up to the, the current job. So it does get easier. Now, in these applications, say you are a federal employee, uh, you can still apply for those jobs through this process, or would that be something different? It's actually the identical process, mm-hmm. but the only difference is uh, there are jobs that are only open to current federal employees, uh, sometimes uh, that would be, especially now with the the budget issues, <laughs> a lot of a lot of organizations can't hire new people, but they can move people around all they want because that doesn't you know, cost any money. So, uh, so the process is the same. Uh, current federal employees, though, I I, I don't want to get too much in that because they've obviously been through this system; they know pretty much how to do it. But, but yeah, you you can move around with the agency, and it's the same process. Gotcha. Interesting. So you've made it, say someone's made it through this whole process now, and, uh, you know, they got the application, they made it through HR. What, what happens next? Now, you know, you, you're, they pulled your resume. Now what? 
and pulled your application. Hey, I want to talk to this guy. What 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 happens next? Sure, uh, they may do an initial scoring of your uh, application, uh, and they may pick a few people to interview. Uh, hiring policies differ between the agencies on that. Uh, but if you do get a call to interview, uh, I've done in-person interviews and phone interviews, and the one of the differences with the government employment is to especially to reduce the chance of legal challenges basically on the interviewing process to ensure fair hiring practices. Uh, they will ask basically the same questions for all applicants. Oh, I don't I mean, basically, I mean, usually it is exactly the same questions for all applicants. I've usually had about three questions. They'll ask me, uh, you know, they'll usually ask, you know, first, you know, kind of tell me about yourself, that kind of thing. But after that, you get into the real questions. Um, and because they're kind, they have to answer the same questions for all applicants. There's not a lot of the, you know, you know, what's your favorite color type, you know, right. you know, questions, you know, uh, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? You know, I haven't yet had any of that question. So, okay. um, but you know, some, some are pretty thought provoking because they're trying to get as much, you know, information out of just those few questions as they can. I mean, I had one that was describe a project of yours that failed and what you learned from it. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a pretty good question. I hadn't really thought about that. So, um, They'll ask that kind of kind of questions often. Uh, they can't really ask follow-on questions again to ensure that they're they're fair to all applicants. So what I recommend is you ask the question of yourself. You know, <laughs> tell them everything you might think they want to know, and then in case you're wondering how we solve that problem, and you know, go on. You know, it kind of if you're good at communication and talking, just think of what they probably want to know about you and. Don't ask for. Don't wait for them to ask it. Just come out with it. Right. Uh, and of course, there's usually is there you know is there anything else you'd like us to know type question at the end and and there yeah that's that's your free opportunity you know if you thought they didn't fully appreciate that that big project you worked on or that you know that amazing aircraft save that you made or something you know right, right. <laughs> that would be your time to present that. Uh, and of course, other than that, I mean, they're the same as private sector interviews, you know, presenting yourself, mannerisms, and, and you've had previous uh, guests that have talked about interview techniques, but there's, there's no difference in that. Dress and appearance is important, of course, and, and being personable. Uh, I mean, you know, it may be the government, but these are still people you're working with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's tough that you've said that a couple times already. I mean, the, it, I, I think we do get that impression that the government's full of, it seems like robots, but it's not. These People are people, you know, and whether they're working for the government or not, you know, it's, it's uh, the people hire people that they like. And uh, that obviously they must be qualified, but they still are not hiring people that they want to hire uh, in, in any process. It's good to hear that, though. You know, there's still that that personal aspect of it. Yeah, it's absolutely true. <laughs> so now you, the interview, uh, something I'm curious about the interview. Now you said phone interviews. That's obvious. You're over the phone. But a federal job, would they take you to the place you need to be interviewed or do you have to get yourself there? And where is that normally uh, done? Is it at the specific location or somewhere more centralized? Uh, I have never seen where they will transport you to you know, cross country or something to the job interview. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen that. Um, I suppose it's possible, but I would think, especially given budget cuts and all, probably not too likely. Um, generally, the 
interview, if it was done in person, would be in the, you know, say in the, um, the hiring official's office or conference room or something like that on the installation. If you don't have access to the facility, maybe it's a military base or something like that, they would have to set up a way for you to get in there. And that's not a, you know, it's not a problem. Hmm. Interesting. So, so you definitely would be going to an interview. So the suits and ties, et cetera, is important, like we talked before. Um, mm-hmm. But, and now this, this process, you're talking about the, the questions that are asked. Now, I would think on a, it'd be very hard to stick with any type of scripted interview process in person. You know, if I was the person doing the interviewing, you know, because you're looking at something and, and you're, you know, you kind of want to talk about other things in their resume. I'm assuming they could do that. They can go off and discuss certain things that you've been involved with, say, as a hobby, that type of thing. No, actually, generally, that's not the case. Wow. Um, yeah, it it does make it difficult. And the few I've been involved on the hiring end of it, it's it's very difficult for the interviewer because you do want to know about those <laughs> those neat things so and some of them you're hoping that the guy volunteers some information but uh well that's going back to what you said okay yeah and and i you know like i said it's it's you the interviewer can choose to do kind of a freeform interview but i think it's generally frowned upon uh and i was i was reading through the the office of personnel management's uh interviewer guide earlier today to you know, have some of these answers. And it seems that it's, it is actually really strongly recommended you go with a real scripted interview just so they can't come back and say, I wasn't hired because, you know, they never asked me about this or whatever, because the questions were different for me than for the guy who got hired. Right. So, yeah, they, they generally do stick to a very scripted interview. And here are the three questions and we will read them and you answer them and you have five minutes to answer each one or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, to clarify something, I know we've been talking about federal jobs and you, there are rules that apply also to the private sector. I know that, uh, you know, I've sure. done some recruiting where we have specific rules on, say, the length that we have to hold on to a resume and the recording of when that resume was was taken and uh, the recording of when we talked to someone, those type of things have to be included in the whole process. Similar, and I think it's... That's you know, true. It, yeah. You know, so there there is that there, but it's, 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 it seems like it's much... It's stricter, though, with, with the federal government. And it's, it's very strict, especially your guidelines so, in the interviews. Yeah, I think you're right. So th- this interview process <laughs> is... Uh, it, sound, it sounds somewhat daunting, but if you... Uh, but it, it, it sounds, it's different. You just have to be ready for it. You know, if I was to go for, an, and this is great information because now I think I'm, I'm better prepared, say, if I want to go for an interview with the federal government. Now I know that I should bring things up myself and, and feed them some information that they may not be able to ask themselves. Um, but is there any other, is there any preferential hiring that's done uh, by the federal government? In other words, if you have, um, I don't know, if you're, say, a veteran or something like that, is there any type of preference given to those people to get hired in the federal government? Uh, definitely. Uh, veterans preference is the big one and the, and the best known uh, and really one I, I can talk about. Um, I've, there may be some uh, some other types of preference programs that I'm not really familiar with, but I do know a lot about the veterans preference because it, it, I was a veteran so, or am a veteran, I suppose, uh, and I applied using preference. So the military veterans do have uh, – what's called either five point or 10 point preference. And this is, if the packages are scored, um, 
you know, if the, the hiring official got a pile of packages and he, you know, actually assigned them a score, you know, you got 86 out of 100 and you got 91 and you got 12 or something, you know, right. um, you know, then these points could be added to that for veterans preference. Uh, five point uh, preference would be someone who is a veteran, uh, has served, uh, in the military. And there are some rules on uh, you know, being your discharge type when you're discharged and this kind of thing. Uh, the 10-point preference will go towards veterans who have some kind of service-connected disability. And there are other, a few other categories of that. But the main one is some sort of service-connected disability. Uh, so, they, so you can apply for using preference. And, and this, is, this is good. This is part of the uh, government's effort to help, uh, you know, help veterans you know, get, get a, get a federal job. So, so it's, it's a good program in my opinion. I'm sure maybe someone who isn't a veteran uh, who doesn't get hired as a result of this might have a different opinion, but, uh, but veterans preference also allows veterans to apply for some positions that aren't open to the general public. This is, it's really key that I think a lot of veterans might not know. Uh, some jobs, like I said, you know, they have internal jobs. Some will say current federal employees or veterans eligible under, and various programs. Uh, so to find those, the veteran will have to actually search USA jobs as if you are a current federal employee, you have to lie to it and tell it, yes, you're a current federal employee. Then it'll return a bunch of jobs that you can't apply for too, but some more that you can. Um, so at, you find the job ad and right at the top, when you get the search results, one of the fields in the search results is who may apply. That's the title of it. And it'll say all U.S. citizens or it'll say current federal employees or current Federal Aviation Administration employees of such and such a agent, uh, division, you know, if they're really restricting it. Uh, but it might also say it'll generally have one of three acronyms, uh, VRA, which is a Veterans Recruitment Appointment, VEOA, which is a Veterans Employment Opportunities Act, and the FAA has a similar one called EVHO, called Expanded Veterans Hiring Opportunity. It'll have generally one, an acronym to that or, or similar, and that'll indicate that this is a job that as a veteran you can apply for even if it's not open to the general public. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, we have a lot of veterans that are actually current military folks listening, and they are getting out of the military soon. And you know, want to know about applying for jobs, say with with the private sector, but they they can apply for these jobs, and and they would have some type of preference. So that this is a great this is great for them. That's true. It requires uh, just a little additional paperwork uh, with the application, of course. Is <laughs> the government? There's more paperwork, right? Um, but it's not too much. I mean, it's it's the same resume. I would clearly state again on the resume right at the top. You know, you are a five point veteran or a ten point veteran. You know, make it obvious, <laughs> but then there's there's a few extra forms uh, which will be shown in the job ad. But there, it's a if you're applying for ten point. Well, if, let me back up. If you're applying for five point preference, you generally just need a copy of your DD two fourteen. Any veteran will know exactly what a DD two fourteen is. It's your discharge paperwork. You include a copy of that, and that shows that you're eligible for five point preference because all you have to do for that is be a veteran. Uh, for 10-point preference, the, the disabled veteran preference, you have to include it. It's, it's a form SF-15, uh, which is a governmental form that, that requests application of preference, and a letter from the Veterans Administration saying, yes, you are a 10-point uh, service-connected disabled vet. And 
that's easy to get from the VA's website too. Uh, so you just include those with your package and, and that's all you really need to do. So just a little bit of extra paperwork, but not too bad. So you would get that info from the Veterans Administration website, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the VA website definitely has all that kind of information. Interesting. So I'll, we'll have mm-hmm. a link to that. That that help folks out. Sure. That's pretty interesting. So now um, in veterans' preferences, say there's there's somebody that's uh, was a veteran and was left the military, say, 10, 15 years ago, would they still be eligible for this? Yes. Uh, I'm not aware of any type of time limitation okay. on veterans' preference. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. You know, it's it, and that that's something that's that's fascinating. I mean, if you served, you served, and and that, I think that I think it's terrific, actually, for personal opinion. But uh, you know, to help help some of these folks get some jobs, and especially since they serve their country, which is which is awesome that they do this, um, and and they do that in the private sector too, which I think is neat, uh, and that they have certain preferences for veterans, etc. Um, but so now. That's all you need to do then with the veteran's preference, and you place that in there, and then uh, you apply. It sounds like it's a little bit different because now you got to look at the jobs that are for current federal employees. Uh, So looking up the job might be a little bit more of a challenge. Definitely, because like I said, the filter kind of filters by if you're a federal employee or not. So you have to check you are, (laughs) and then you have to, (laughs) yeah, then you have to, as you're looking through the job ads, see which ones are really open to veterans and which ones are just showed up because you had to fib (laughs) to the system. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Outstanding. You know, this is such great information. I think this is so cool. And is there anything else the veterans should keep in mind while they're looking at the the application process? Um, It is probably a good idea to attempt to demilitarize your resume, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Yeah, especially, (laughs) well, especially if you're, uh, basing your resume, as I did, uh, off of my performance reports. My performance reports in the military had a whole lot of acronyms and terms oh. and such that that you don't even realize uh, no one in the civilian world knows. <laughs> so um, you may want to you know, hand it to, to someone else and say, hey, can you make sense of this resume? <laughs> you know, and they say, well, what, what does this term mean? Well, you, you might want to spell it out. Um, obviously, if you're applying to the Department of Defense, you may need to do a little bit less of that, maybe. But there are a lot of people in the Department of Defense, there are a lot of civilian positions um, that don't really work with the military a whole lot. And it seems kind of counterintuitive, I suppose, but you know, there are a lot of functions in the Department of Defense. Um, you know, some of the other agencies, you know, out of maybe the you know, IRS or something right. might not you know, have you know, much knowledge on military terms and that kind of stuff. So just to be safe, it's best to try to put everything in civilian terms and, and remove the military terms, just so, just so the people know what you're talking about. Wow. Boy, you know, gosh, this is some awesome information, Russ. It, it, you know, we've gone through this whole process, but um, and especially for the veterans, I think that's, this is going to really be helpful for them, everybody, actually, anybody looking for a federal position. Actually, uh, if you're listening right now and you think, gosh, you know, I never thought of applying for a federal job, I'd encourage you to go check it out. You know, see what's out there. You may find something that's really cool. I mean, Russ, you're into aviation. You love aviation, mm-hmm. and you still get to to fulfill that passion and work in the federal government. Yeah, it's it's great. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome, and you know, you get to do something for the country, et cetera. But uh, you know, we've we've talked about this whole process, but 
Russ, I think you brought today some examples of some listings, and you were going to kind of walk through some things with us. Um, maybe we could do that now, unless there's anything else you want to go through before we start that process. No, I think we, we can move right on. Um, yeah, I, I got a few ex- examples here, but I do want to point out these are currently open ads at the time we're recording this. Okay, so um, at, at the time that this podcast is aired, they're probably all going to be closed. They might <laughs> not. There, there, there are some some extended opening jobs in here, but 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 that's not these particular jobs are not really the point. It, mostly, I want to uh, just kind of take it through what's in a job ad and you know, bring up some some tips as I go along. Uh, yeah, just using them as examples. But yeah, don't specifically try to look for these exact jobs because they might no longer be open by the time you're listening to this, especially if it's six months or a year from now anyway. So, uh, but yeah, so just, just a few, uh, a few interesting ones I'm, I kind of pulled up. I'm follow along with you. I'm going to try to find these. Oh, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Go <ahead. laughs> good luck. Okay. okay. <laughs> good luck. He says. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there's a lot. All <laughs> yeah. right. So, so the first one I, I looked at was uh, it's actually at the NTSB. I know you've had hosts from the NTSB on here before. Uh, it's for an aviation accident investigator as a maintenance uh, member uh, of the, the board. Found it. Oh, you did? Yes. Man, you're good. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. And, and this, this job, it lists a salary range. Wow, that's a good salary. Can we talk? And, can we say well, it yeah, it will go ahead. So. Yeah, I was going to say it's between sixty three and 116000 per year. Now, what they're doing there is that's for different grade levels within, the, within that specialty. Okay, so it starts at what's known as a GS-11 uh, position. And 11 is a you know, pretty decently paid uh, employee of the government. And it goes up to a 13, which... The top end of the thirteen is that hundred sixteen thousand. Now this is in D.C., so it does get what's called locality pay for for that area. There's a uh, there's an adjustment because expensive place to live. Uh, but that salary range is depicted because there's the GS grades eleven, twelve, and thirteen, and each one would has different requirements as you go up in pay and responsibilities, the requirements that you have to meet go up. And we'll see that a little bit later in the, uh, in the ad. Um, it is a full-time position. Uh, and like I said, it's in the DC area does not require security clearance and it is not a supervisor. That's kind of all the information right off the kind of the front page of the ad. And then it goes in a job summary. It tells you what you're going to be doing, uh, what the NTSB does, uh, where this office is located, says who may apply and people who may apply for this are us citizens and current and former federal employees. So pretty much everybody who's a U.S. citizen, it lists or requires some travel, which you would expect working for the NTSB. Um, it will even pay relocation expenses and, and it goes through some key requirements. Uh, that you have to be a U.S. citizen. If you're a male, you have to have been registered for selective service. That's the draft registration. That's a higher federal requirement for hiring. Uh, and, and some other requirements of physician. Then it goes down into duties. And I'm not going to really read through it, but as you can expect, you're investigating accidents with an eye on the maintenance aspects of it. Uh, it goes down into qualifications. And this is what I was talking about. For the, to be hired at the GS-13 level, which is the top level, um, there are more requirements than for the GS-11 level. And what I've kind of 
highlighted here on my copy is for the 11 level, you have to have specialized experience, at least one year of knowledge of and skill in applying applicable theories, concept, principles, standards, and methods relating to transport category airplane maintenance. So you have to be familiar with airplane maintenance. Okay. It's reasonable. If you want to be hired at the GS 12 level, higher pay grade, making more money, you have to have all that, but you also have to have experience developing methods on, uh, and recommendations and solutions to modifying standard practices to solve problems. So it's a little bit more responsibility and it goes up from there to the 13 level. So that's where when you go in your application, if you have those types of experience, you want to clearly state it. And remember I talked about that uh, occupational questionnaire where you're going to answer your level of experience you know, of the four or five categories. Right. Make sure you pick the right one okay, <laughs> and be able to back it up. Uh, this job also has an education substitution. You can uh, substitute education for specialized experience only at the GS-11 level. Okay. Hmm. So, let's see. Working down this. Uh, further down, it states how you will be evaluated. And it mentions these KSAs, uh, these knowledge, skills, and abilities. And it says, work experiences must clearly show possession of the following. Aeronautical education theory and practice, FA regulations, aviation maintenance programs, and several others. Okay, so it's listing out what exact skills within the maintenance world it wants you to have. Um, and it even goes on to say, like I mentioned before, we do not require a separate statement responding to each of these competencies. However, your resume should clearly show possession of these competencies. So you want to make sure you spell that out very clearly. Okay. Uh, then it goes on to talk about how how they're going to rank people highly qualified, well qualified, or qualified, and it has a link to federal benefits, and then it has some other information about moving expenses are authorized, so that's a pretty good deal. They'd pay you to move to D.C. if you got selected, uh, and s some other uh, comments. It has one about the veterans uh, are eligible for veterans preference and how to get more information on that. And then it goes down how to apply. And you can, it has a link to review some eligibility options. But. Man, I tell you, there's a lot of information yeah, in this. It, it is. I mean, this, this is like wow. seven pages long or something. <laughs> um, and it, but under apply, it says to begin, click apply online. Well, it's the button right next to where you're reading this on the screen. So okay. <laughs> you apply online, okay? And then, then you go in, like I said, you attach the, your resume and any other documents, like I said, the education thing. So you might want to attach a transcript if you were applying for that. Um, your DD-214 if you're applying for veterans preference. And click submit, go through it, and it'll kind of guide you through and uh, take you through uh, an occupational questionnaire. And once you get done that, you're done. Keep reading. <laughs> Make sure you didn't miss anything. You get down to required documents. And it lists, well, pretty much everything I've talked about. Resume, the responses to the questionnaire, veterans preference documentation, uh, and a few other things. If you were a current federal employee, it wants some you know, documentation of that. But uh, and transcripts. And by the and, way, this, this application I'm going to have is a PDF file, so... Uh, just this one, okay. maybe an, uh, another one. So if, if people are listening, they can actually download it. They can it follow themselves. along. Great, yeah. great, great. Uh, and at the end, it has some agency contact information, uh, number you can call if you have questions about the ad. Uh, 
and what to expect next and whether they're going to contact you and and yeah that and then some uh, some closing comments so so that's that's a basic <laughs> i know that was a lot but that's pretty much the stuff that's in most job ads I, I did go ahead and view the occupational questionnaire and I wanted to talk about what was on that specific one. Okay. Uh, there's actually a link within that, within the ad saying view it. You know, before you apply, you can view it and just so you can take a look and see if you really meet the requirements they're looking for. Uh, but some of the questions here were not necessarily going to weed you out, but it does ask about your experience at the 11, GS 11, 12, and 13 level. Do you have the specialized experience required? Um, do you hold a commercial pilot certificate? Yes or no? Well, this is a maintenance position, so it's probably not required, but couldn't hurt, right? Uh, do you have a private pilot certificate? Do you have an ATP? Do you have an airframe and power plant certificate? Well, that would probably be a good one to have for this job. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so, <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, for, then it says for each task in the following group, choose the uh, statement that best describes your experience. And this is where I talk about A through E. From I have not had education, training, or experience in performing this task to I am considered an expert in performing this task. I have supervised performance of this task, etc. And it's got some of the examples of things it asks about are experience in coordinating, interfacing with government regulatory aviation agencies. Obviously, with the NTSB, you're going to be working with other agencies a lot. Uh, experience involving the supervision and management of the maintenance program for Part 121 transport category airplanes. Experience with developing maintenance program documentation. Um, if you have experience assisting in some aspect of an accident incident investigation, like you know helping the NTSB with something or or the FAA doing an investigation would certainly help. Uh, experience involving aviation safety improvement research, just a, a bunch of things, and it's actually got twenty nine questions basically like that. And so you go through and answer your level of experience, and this is where I said. It's tempting to just answer E for all of them. Yeah, I'm Superman in every category, but you know, you see somebody who answers E in every single one of 29 categories, you almost suspect that they, right. they're fibbing a little bit. Right, so, right. but yeah, so so be honest. Uh, like I said, it can definitely come back to haunt you if uh, if you falsify government application paperwork. So yeah. so yeah, so don't mess with that. But that was that was was one example. I have I have a couple more if we have time or uh, sure. Let's at least do one more. Let's let's try to get another one up there. So maybe I could I'll try to search for this one too. So go ahead. What, what what's it? Okay, what it? Uh, this one is for uh, actually I want to do two more. I'll try to okay. so I'll try to yeah, do no, them. No, that's okay. good because I got fun. another good one after that. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> all right. Um, this is for an airplane flight instructor. Hey, we, hey, we know some of those, right? So yeah, there you go. It's in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, Pretty town. This, yeah, so yeah, if you can find this one. Um, this is a pretty well-paying position, too. It's also a GS-12 and 13 position, depending on your experience and qualifications. I'll run through this one a little bit quicker than, than the last one. I won't talk about every category, but it's to serve as a flight training and standardization manager for uh, Department of the Interior Aircraft in Alaska. So... It's responsible for primary advanced instrument and special flight activities, ground training. Uh, goes on to list some requirements for pre-employment drug testing and physical. Important to, to know there. Uh, and it's, it's a job that they are, it sounds really like a pretty neat job actually. Yeah, it <laughs> it's responsible for conducting flight instruction and evaluations of pilots and airplane, including wheels, floats, amphibians, skis under VFR, FR, short field, off airport, mountainous terrain, seaplane, operations, Man, 
Maybe I'll apply for this one. Yeah, it sounds pretty good, huh? <laughs> it does. So, um, but on a specialized experience, uh, if had you had you found this one yet, Carl? No, I didn't. I'm trying. Okay. On a specialized experience, it at the GS12 level, it has um, mainly the experiences as pilot command of uh, single engine land and sea and multi engine land airplanes, and experience with flight instruction and evaluation of pilots. Uh, the GS-13 yeah. level has basically all that stuff, but in addition, experience developing written examination and flight evaluation standards that can identify competency or weakness of a pilot's performance. So the GS-13 level, you'd actually be expected to know how to develop evaluation standards. Uh, so a little bit more responsibility there. Uh, this job has flight hour requirements. It's a flying position, so it does. Uh, and it has pretty extensive flight requirements, 3,500 hours total, 3,000 hours pilot command of aircraft less than 12,500 pounds. I'm not going to read all of them, but some of the more interesting ones. 1,000 hours piloting command in Alaska. Interesting. Uh, Got to have a tailwheel endorsement. Of course, we all kind of expect that. Plus 500 hours piloting command in tailwheels. 250 in float planes, 100 in ski planes. <laughs> yeah. So, so some pretty neat, uh, neat things there. I don't know how many people are going to meet all those requirements, but... Since those were all listed off in the job ad in my application, my resume, I would list off every single category just like they have. Right, right. That makes sense. Because they're going to ask for it anyway. I mean, if you, you know, you, know, you can't, oh, I don't have the night flying requirement, so I'll just leave that off. No, they need to see proof that you have all those. You're not going to make it. So spell it out. Right. I tell you, uh, though, there's, there's some really cool jobs out there. As you were saying, I, got, I brought up the wrong job. And, and this is okay. pretty cool itself. It's a National Guard job, you know, so... Uh, you have to have uh, you know some military membership required, but sure, know, those are the kind of things of you find on here. It's a, it's a, there's some really really. I'd encourage anybody just to go out there to USA Jobs and check some of these out just just for fun. Uh, you never know, you might find. Yeah, I, I pulled up ones that were at the you know at NASA at the Space Center for you know computer engineers. I think that you know if, if cool. that was what we did, I think it'd be pretty cool programming yeah. rockets and stuff. I guess uh, yeah, yeah. they're looking for a. Uh, a FISDO inspector in many locations, apparently. They got job ads out there. But one more I wanted to bring yeah, up. Okay, so we've talked about, okay, these are the two examples I already brought up are, are pretty well, pretty good paying government jobs, right? Now, obviously, they have, you have to have had some experience to apply for these jobs, okay? Right. Well, what about someone just starting out, someone in college, right? right? Okay. You know, once the you know, think, hey, I want to get in aviation, you know, I want to get in the federal government. There are intern programs. These are paid interns, um, <laughs> unlike some other, you know, some other companies, but they, they are paid interns. Um, you get these on that main usajobs.gov page. One of the links down at the bottom underneath the search bar is students <laughs> you know, and interns So and recent graduates, I think is how we're so, so click on that, and that'll take you to intern-type positions. Uh, one I have here is at the, it's a civilian position, but it's with the Department of the Army in their Research Development and Engineering Command in Huntsville, Alabama. Well, this is where they do aviation and missile research. Cool. Okay, so at the Redstone Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, this is an intern working with, you know, missile research, right? <laughs> so, so pretty neat. I mean, I think if I was, you know, a recent college graduate, that might be something... Something Boy, cool to apply for. Uh, they one of pretty the, good job. I mean, the pay's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Now, this one requires you to be in the local commuting area of Huntsville, Alabama. They're not going to pay to move you and you know, it's that kind of thing. So it is obviously designed for local college students. Uh, but the job ad goes through the same type of format as all the others. You have to you know, attach documentation so you're in school or a recent graduate. It goes through the, the pay levels. You have to have – it even has those knowledge, skills, and abilities – You'll be evaluated on your basis of your level of competency in the following areas, which are knowledge of engineering and technical data, skill in computer software, and ability to communicate in writing. So, not too bad. Uh, you know, I think you know, that a lot of people who are interested could meet those requirements. And, but the job application is exactly like the other, the other ways. You go and you click apply online. You upload your, your resume, which probably as a college student is not going to be too large <laughs> for a resume. <laughs> um, so, you know, hopefully it shouldn't take that long, but, uh, definitely put in, uh, put in any job experience you do have, if you have it or, you know, classes and GPA and that kind of thing would be important for this type of position. And it even talks about benefits. They get, they get some of the, the same benefits of, of regular employees in this intern program. So, uh, wow. yeah, you can, there are, there are jobs across the spectrum of, of experience and pay and for, you know, for just about anybody who's interested in any field in aviation, you can find something. I've got others here for, here's a flight test pilot, um, yeah, forestry technician, as uh, you know, a, uh, what, you know, lots of weather positions out there too. Uh, air tanker base for fire season, uh, even the TSA, you know, as a transportation security officer. So, uh, yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of positions. And these are just, pulled up on a quick search in the last week or so. I, I will say one thing I'm now convinced of is that if you want to do an internship, you really need to look at the federal government. I, I'm just astounded at the pay of these jobs. I mean, we're talking making twenty to 35000 a year. Uh, you know, I, I look at it from an airline pilot perspective, that's a ton of money uh, to make that kind of money. Your first oh, sure. year at a, at a regional, say, airline, making 25000 a year is pretty darn good. I mean, shoot... You know, when I started, it was like fifteen thousand a year. You were happy, and and some people start even less. And these are these are federal jobs, and I guess you can also get longevity from being an intern. I must maybe I don't know. I have to look into that. But that especially with the intern program, I mean, the whole purpose of the intern program is to give you that experience and training in that field of work that the organization needs. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah. And, so you've been an intern. Well, who's going to be at the top of the list when the you know the regular job comes open exactly and and this is an internship you know for those that are looking at jobs at the airlines remember most airline internships don't pay anything zero these people are actually getting paid to do this uh that's pretty phenomenal right there i mean that that's uh, that's something that you know you'd have to look at obviously if, if you're looking at you know a flying job no but but maybe you know maybe something like this would be interesting to you who knows uh but there's some great aviation jobs out there uh, and some internships too. So, I think I think I, uh, I I think you're onto something here, Russ. I think this is awesome. <laughs> oh, good. Now, now now I know now I know why why people like these uh, the the federal jobs and and working for the government. You know, it's uh, you know there there's so many things out there that you can do, and there's more than I ever imagined. To be honest with you, I as I've been listening to you, I've been searching through all the different type of jobs that I might be interested in. Uh, even with, you know, my background in computers and, and, you know, sure, there's even jobs there that you can apply for. 
Um, you know, even though I haven't done computers in a long time, there's there's some type of entry levels that I could probably go to to get that experience again. So that that's that's phenomenal, Russ. And you know, I, I really, gosh, I appreciate you doing all this. And these examples were good. I know there there's many more that we could have. I'm going to put a couple on the website uh, at aviationcruisepodcast.com/slash-sixty-one. You can find those examples there. And of course, if you have questions for Russ, you can just you know go to the contacts page and I'll forward all those questions to Russ. But Russ, um, just in general, if you're looking at a, a federal government job, just to reiterate, um, why would you do that? I mean, I, I, you know, I stopped my job at the state government. Uh, one of the things that turned me off, I guess, was all the the paperwork and bureaucracy, et cetera. Um, but why would somebody, you know, look towards that? I mean, why would they want to be a federal employee? Well, you're right, you're right Carl, and you know the. Uh... You know, sometimes the bureaucracy and the paperwork turns people away. You know, there are people who, admittedly, probably government service is not suited for. Um, but there are, you know, you can say that about any job, any company right. or organization or type of employment. Um, but, you know, there is the, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, the, the opportunity to serve your country, even if you're not, you know, able to join the military or, or necessarily willing to. Uh, a lot of jobs, a lot of flexibility. Uh moving between jobs. A lot of people don't, even federal, current employees don't really appreciate the, uh, you know, the ability to move among positions uh, as much as, as, as they could. Uh, but there is a lot of that flexibility, uh, move around, stay with, you're staying with the same employer for, you know, 20, 30 years, even though you may have several different jobs within that time. So your benefits are all carrying over. I, I know, you know, when I was a a private sector employee, I got hired by a new company. Well, I had instantly had zero time off and you know no seniority or anything, right? So, uh, kind of like the airlines, you get hired by a new airline yep. and start over. You're back down on the totem pole, right? So, uh, but with the federal government, all your benefits carry over, and your leave and your pay can, uh, your leave will, your your pay can if you if you uh, apply for the right type of job. Uh, promotions, uh, longevity, pay increases, generally in most cases. Uh, so there, there's definitely a lot of pros uh, going for the uh, the federal employment. Yeah, there sure are. And I, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, you can change, you can move around, and and you do have you know some security there. Uh, as long as our federal government goes, doesn't go away, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. And if it does, we have many many other issues to deal with. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, gosh, Russ, this was awesome, and and you know, to to go along with this, since we're talking federal jobs, uh, something I'm actually starting with this episode, so Russ gets to be part of this, is um, I'm starting a, a scholarship of the week. You know, we we do have all these scholarships out there at aviationcareerspodcast.com/slash/scholarships, or you just can go to the aviationscholarshipsguide.com to find some of these and. Um, I know many of the ones that we've put out there so far are more for people that are in high school and college, but uh, some actually uh, can help you get a federal job. So one of the scholarships we have listed, and I, I'll have a link to this, by the way, at, at uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 61. And uh, the one scholarship I'm, I'm going to talk about here is uh, the Gabriel Hartle Scholarship. And this is actually a scholarship that uh, is from the Air Traffic Controllers Association, and they are the one that sponsors this. And what they're trying to do is award a scholarship to help uh, support the financial needs of uh, somebody who's a student and wants to seek higher education in the science of air traffic control uh, and, and also other aviation disciplines. Uh, and 
Also, this applies to children of air traffic control specialists. So those are normally federal employees that this applies to. Uh, so if you get, if you want to take a look at this, this what's a neat about this is that they don't give the actual number, but the average award for an Air Traffic Controllers Association scholarship uh, was $4,687. That's a lot of money. And uh, just for, for completing an application, one of the things that, that, and the reasons I put these scholarships together is the fact that people just don't look towards them, and they, they don't realize there's, there's so much money out there that people want to give to help people move forward in their careers. A lot of scholarships, they go, and they're not used. They're, they go unused. So what I'm trying to do is promote those. And I have on here all the different ways that you can apply for those scholarships, etc. cetera. Uh, but this, this particular scholarship was mainly designed for somebody who's just starting out going into college or has uh, you know uh, has you know a minimum number of credit hours that they need to apply for so it's, you really have to be uh, enrolled in in this this school an air traffic control school for a, a two to four year air traffic control program to apply for this one so I'll have all that information out there in the link it's a Gabriel Hartle scholarship and you know give it a shot you might if you're interested in air traffic control this might be the one for you and and just to give you a review all the different scholarships what we've done is, um, what's unique about our website is we it's kind of like a Craigslist of scholarships where uh, we'll put out there the scholarship, the name, the purpose, how you're eligible, the value, kind of like we saw on USA.gov, but a lot simpler. And uh, we, we give everything to you on one page, very simple format. All you have to do is link to the uh, application or link to the website that, that it's associated with. Um, the difference in what we're doing than a lot of these other online type of directories is the fact that we actually vet every single scholarship. This is a, a, a huge amount of work that we do behind these scholarships. So uh, I'd really encourage you to take a look at them. There's uh, By just registering free, you get to see up to 60 scholarships. For the rest of the scholarships, a paid membership, uh, we've made it rather uh, inexpensive for the monthly or the annual membership. And, of course, if you do that, there's other things associated uh, with the membership, like you can get the pr uh, Practical Guide to Winter Flying. You can also get the um, uh, pilot jobs book that's all included in the annual membership plus all these seminars that I've been doing I'm putting on video and I'm placing out there so as an annual member you'll be getting those too so right there uh, that's all included so there's there's a lot of value there for you uh, but if you're looking at scholarships this is this is a, a really neat resource I mean I, not just because I put it together but you know there's a lot of other folks that have helped me with this and uh, Russ the gentleman that works for me uh, he actually has done a wonderful job he's the scholarships administrator here so hopefully you'll take a peek at that and uh, and take a look at the, this is one that's associated with with federal jobs um, and getting back to the, the the federal jobs that we looked at here Russ this this has really been awesome and I, I tell you uh, I've learned a whole bunch here just uh, talking to you, and I, I'm sure that those listening today have learned a lot. I, I hope also it's encouraged people to look at those jobs. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's nice to have somebody like you that's that's excited about working for the federal government. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I, I hope that hope that people took a lot away from this, and yeah, just go on USAJobs.gov. I mean, take a look around. It, you never know what you're going to find, and like I said, some of the jobs are only open for a week so right. which both means a you have to jump on it quickly but b if you don't see anything you like well try next week you cool. know, and, and take another look hey and, and if they need to get if they want to ask you a question i'm going to have them fill out the contact form is that would that be the best way to to get in touch with you 
I think that'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. And I'll just forward those on if, if anybody has questions about this because this is this is some really good information and I, I think really you should look at a federal job, especially if you've done some military service. I do know that there's a push, uh, even in the private sector right now, to hire as many veterans as possible. And uh, you know, having been part of that, I think it's a wonderful thing because uh, you know it, it's the way we serve our vets is by bringing them back and finding them jobs. And I think that's absolutely terrific because they have served our countries and uh, and uh, in the United States here especially. Uh, I know you listening to this overseas are are you know the ones in Australia and in Great Britain. I I know you have other, uh, and, and anywhere else in, in the world, have other avenues uh, with your federal governments. But, you know, obviously this is just uh, here in the United States because that's, you know, where we're located and, and that's primarily what, you know, the audience is right now for these type of jobs. But uh, but if you're listening, you, you may actually want to start looking at your government and say, hey, you know, how do I start this application process and, and where can I go? It, it, it may be just as easy as going to, to a, a website just like USA.gov. And also, with these federal jobs that we've talked about, some of them do not require citizenship in the United States. Uh, some are eligible to anybody, uh, as long as you can, can work within the U.S., etc. So I'd, I'd really highly recommend you take a look at this. Hey, Russ, thanks again for being here. This, is, uh, this went a little longer than we expected, but there's all, there was so much good information here, I, and uh, I, I think that was just awesome. I, mean, I really appreciate it, man. Oh, good. Thanks for having me on, Carl. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, always, it's always fun talking to Russ. He's always fascinating. I, <laughs> we've had him on, on the Stuck Mike Avcast and in here a few times. We always, always learn some really good information, some fascinating stuff. Well, if you're listening right now, I'd encourage you to do something uh, today to, to move forward in your career. Just take one step. Uh, try to look at something. Look at uh, the scholarships. You never know. You might be able to uh, apply for a scholarship. Uh, I know most of the ones we have on the website right now are for those folks that are uh, going into college or already in college and in their first year or two. But we have so many more that we're adding on a weekly basis. So check it out. There might be something for you. You never know. I mean, I've uh, seen people that uh, have been able to get uh, scholarships even in their 40s and 50s. So you never know that specific scholarship might just be for you. Well, folks, I, I really appreciate you listening. And, uh, you know, just, just keep your, keep your uh, you know, head in the clouds. Think about, you know, what it is you want to do and, and set your goals and, and move towards that goal. But, but now, you know, that you've had that goals and you, and you have them in the clouds, start, start building a big, you know, really good foundation underneath uh, your, 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 your person there and, and start building up towards those, those clouds. And, you know, it's good to have those castles in the sky, but, but let's make those foundations now. And, and uh, so that, and I know, I know that you can achieve, achieve the goal that, that you're looking for, no matter what it is. Well, folks, uh, talk to you next episode and stay flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.